Hello and welcome back to the podcast where I sit down with women that are in our network. I chat with women that are leading the charge in their industry and have inspiring conversations that uncover how each guest has navigated their career. In today's episode, I'm joined by Emily Leung. Emily is the founder of Ohai a cannabis lifestyle brand featuring a curated collection of elevated essentials. I'm excited to be sharing this episode because Ohai was founded in 2018 in Vancouver and was built by an all-women freelance team. Emily and I talk about how she's navigated the world of entrepreneurship, what Ohai means to her, and how she's integrated the therapeutic benefits of cannabis in her life. As always, I'll leave all of her links in the show notes, but in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Kyla. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you, and I'm so excited that you're a fellow Vancouverite as well. Yes. Yes. I love that. I actually love, I'm born and raised here. So I love finding other like-minded people because the city is kind of small, but it sometimes feels hard to really connect deeply with others. I think yeah. a lot of people kind of sometimes actually say um, Vancouver is a little cliquey and hard to make friends. So it's kind of nice to have, yeah, West Coast representation. Yeah, no, I totally feel that. I think too, with Vancouver, everything is kind of far I guess far out like if you're living in other areas like outside of Vancouver it's a little bit harder to kind of get together especially with traffic and getting on the highway and just a lot of it's a logistical nightmare I feel I agree yeah before we get started I always love to ask what you're most looking forward to this week this week um I think I'm looking forward to find some really good grounding time um, with some friends and family. I think, especially in Vancouver, the dark, rainy season and what we went through with, you know, kind of pandemic life last mm-hmm. winter, especially here in Vancouver, just some of those dark and gloomy days. I've let that be a reminder just to take things slow when I can, especially when you're an entrepreneur and everything feels like a <laughs> hustle. So when there's that gap, I'm going to seize it. Absolutely. What are your favorite like grounding moments or techniques that you do to kind of relax and just clear your mind? Definitely yoga. I miss hot yoga so much. <laughs> it's like the last thing that's going to come back because of obviously restrictions. Um, So I've been going on YouTube and have found some really amazing online instructors and I'll just roll up the mat, you know, even at four o'clock in the middle of my yeah. day in the afternoon and just do 15, 20 minutes and really, you know, focus and listen to the breath and have that slow down grounding moment. And then the other time is cannabis, <laughs> which is my part of the business and part of the lifestyle. Um, so yeah, those two kind of work hand in hand for me. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I mean, let's get into you and your background. So I'd love if you could just give, you know, a quick background of yourself and maybe how you got started in your career. Sure. Um, as we mentioned, I'm I'm local from Vancouver. I've lived here my whole life, which is wild, I think. 
but I've definitely traveled quite a bit. And I went to SFU, Simon Fraser University. I studied communications um, from a quite early age, like in high school. I knew I wanted to be in in that kind of realm of early 2000s, late 90s, like PR, you know, like yeah. Samantha from Sex in the City PR, yeah. right? <laughs> That's kind of that big girl city dream and, and such. So, and I had some family members who were in photography and advertising. So that was kind of in my orbit. And um, I went and studied communications and quite quickly after I landed my first, my first big girl job at a, a print agency. But again, this is early 2000s. So it was print radio and newspaper um, and outdoor billboard and that sort of thing. So I love that kind of novelty of the fact that mm-hmm. I'm an older millennial, but really had tactile advertising under my belt. But a big turning point very early on in my career was I uh, landed a role as an associate producer at an agency um, local in Vancouver, and we serviced some really big brands. So uh, we were the digital agency on record for Nike Jordan, Starbucks, and Lulu. And that was my dream job, especially, you know, in Vancouver. And we were just chatting like Vancouver, there's there's only so many kind of big sparkly opportunities like that in the city, especially back then. And so I was doing that for about three and a half years. And through that, it's kind of like I got this early training of what it means to have this very high level, concrete expectation of how to express and build brands. And on top of that, you know, if you have the chance of working in an agency and you serve multiple clients, it's really interesting because you get to have the same skill set, but you have to adapt to your client's business needs. And yeah. I share that because from very early on, I had this visibility to so many different sectors. And some were sexier than others, you know, like Jordan or like Lulu, Mm -hmm. but, you know, some were simply just business problems that these massive, you know, global conglomerates had. And I kind of learned that way. Um, And then, yeah, from there, we, I worked on more client side. I've worked for the Vancouver Canucks, protein supplement company, Vega. Um, And then I did a couple of other things. And then in 2017, I finally said goodbye to the corporate world and I started freelancing and using my, my digital marketing skills. And um, I also teach at BrainStation as an instructor. I've been on a hiatus oh this year, but yeah, yeah. I've been doing that Wait, for almost so five I. years. <laughs> really? Yeah. No way. In the Vancouver That's campus? Awesome. No, the Toronto. Well, it was remote. So I was doing digital marketing, but associate instructor, but okay. it's, it's, I love it. It's such a good program. Yeah. So I started in 2017 and I was an associate like yourself. And then quickly after I became a lead instructor. And so I did that for, yeah, since 2017 and all of last year, right? Like, yeah. you know what it is like remotely when <laughs> we just went all online. It's one of my passions, but this year got a little hectic. So I haven't been able to jump back, but yeah. And so just doing all of that and being exposed to so many different people, business leaders, and again, like sectors. And my role has always been marketing. So it's this, Mm -hmm. it's my toolkit, I like to say, but I come out and I kind of build like different houses, you know, different brands or use different tools. But, you know, I know you, I don't know if you still work there, but I know you work at Snapchat, right. And like Mm -hmm. with social, if you start early on in the career, I, my career developed as technology developed and with those business. And so that kind of gave me all, all those tools to really push forward and into my consulting and then also my own business. That's so interesting that you say, you know, the agency piece, cause I was that agency before I came to snap and I don't know about you, but I felt like I was kind of thrown into the deep end, but in a good way. And I think a lot of the times when I talk to 
you know, people that are just starting out in the industry, a lot of the questions that I get is, is agency experience necessary? And I feel like, yes, but I'd love to get your two cents on that. I think if like say students, for example, at Brain Station, they ask that too, right? Common questions, especially in digital marketing. It's like, how do I get experience where you start? Like, do I work for a client or do I do my own thing? And hundred percent, I agree. Like agency experience, I think would be super beneficial. Like you just get this opportunity to experience so many unique projects that you may not have the chance to, where it can be a little bit more bureaucratic or like kind of cookie cutter, right? If you're straight to corporate. But my challenge with that advice is in 2021, majority of companies don't really reach out to agencies anymore. And I actually have this struggle and I've been working through this kind of almost literary like op-ed piece that I've been drafting in my head for years is who actually has the final say and reigns in marketing, right? Because now that so many companies um, take a lot of that digital or any of that marketing experience into in-house, it becomes so subjective. And so it Mm -hmm. becomes very opinionated. And I think if you have agency experience, then you know how to manage those clients that are now your internal clients and stakeholders. So, you know, I think there's just not as many agency opportunities anymore for people that yeah. are coming into the job market or looking for that, especially in a, that, I think, mid to junior level. If mm-hmm. I would assume most agencies would be looking for my more like executive high level client management or strategy because those type of clients, I would imagine, will really want their dollars to go far. Otherwise, they'll just, you know, hire a social media person or, yeah. you know, someone who can kind of multitask. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I always see too, a lot of people kind of venturing out on their own and being social media consultants, which I think is great. And I think, you know, if you're not able to find those opportunities, social media is a space where you can learn yourself in a way, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. But what really you know, stuck out when you were talking about your personal background was that you dipped your toes a little bit into, you know, the supplements and, you know, health and wellness vertical, like you mentioned with Vega. Is that what sparked your interest with kind of venturing out into doing cannabis and, you know, doing a little bit more within the health and wellness vertical? I would say my passion started before my professional career of interest, like touching base with Vega. I definitely had I that as like my kind of second dream job in town because of my affinity to self-awareness, introspectivity. And then that kind of comes hand in hand with um, health and wellness, right? And and in that vertical of like CPG. But, you know, cannabis came into my life in my early 20s more consistently. And that's when I really realized the power and the benefits of it just through the therapeutic effects that I was able to glean and to benefit from the plant. And it kind of all intersected for me one day. I'm really entrepreneurial by spirit. So, you know, early on, I have a photo booth rental business and I would help friends with their businesses and all of that. And so, you know, I'm constantly thinking. And I remember one day I was smoking a joint and I thought, you know, I was with my partner. I'm like, damn, like I kind of want my own stash kit. Like I (laughs) I want my own accessories or, you know, Mm -hmm. apartment looked a certain way or home decor looks a certain way. So, you know, so should these things and planted that seed pun intended and not intended about, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago and, and just waited. And then around that time, when I started at Vega, that was in around 2014, 2015, there was really the spike of health um, and wellness awareness, especially in Vancouver, right. right? Like 
juice yep. shops, all the, all the fitness studios so that we have in town, right? So many. And being in that environment of Vega, being in this brand that was so innovative, you know, with vegan plant-based protein and all the product innovation, it certainly applied a lot of business thinking of what could be viable. And that's when things right. really clicked for me. And so when I was at Vega, I was actually covering a mat leave. So I had a contract. When that contract ended, and I thought, well, the timing of it all just couldn't be yeah. better. And that's when conversations in industry started to become a lot more powerful about the upcoming legalization, which would have which yeah. would have happened 2018 and exactly three years ago this past Sunday on October 17, 2018. And so that definitely encouraged me to see, okay, I think, I think I'm kind of onto something and mm-hmm. maybe I should start stepping foot into it. So you mentioned that when you you know, we're thinking about potentially having your own stash and, you know, having products and accessories that were more tailored to your style. Was that because a lot of the accessories in the market were heavily targeted towards males? Yeah. And, you know, I think I would like to say that there is a certain aesthetic for it that Mm -hmm. male or females may enjoy. And it's a classic aesthetic, you know, that colorful psychedelic or yeah. very even Jamaican inspired. That, right. But then to me, that really speaks to that reefer madness that has been stereotyped, which, you know, descended into a lot of stigmatization and the stereo, again, the stereotype of what a stoner is, the type of yeah. goods that they use. And I certainly am not judge, judging that style, right? And I'm not yeah. saying that's not good. It's just in order to destigmatize, you have to make it welcoming. And I know this from building brands. And so mm-hmm. if you have something that people are proud to use or feel really comfortable, then that can be that gateway into, okay, maybe this isn't just like lazy people smoking weed and yeah. playing video games. This is classy looking stuff. So what does that mean? But certainly to answer your question, like I saw the gap because when I went to go shop and we're in Vancouver, right? So there's yeah. a lot of pot shops and head shops yeah. in town. And I was looking and the only things I could find were maybe the most basic colored glass. And yeah. that was the best thing I could find to feel like I could put on my coffee table. And so that's definitely the inspiration. Well, even like accessories aside, you know, looking at other cannabis dispensaries that, you know, have popped up over the past few years, like one of the examples would be Dutch Love. The overall look and feel of the place is different from what, you know, has typically or what it typically looked like before with, like you mentioned, brighter colors, psychedelic mm-hmm. colors, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of the, the legalization that we have for adult rec use, right? So, you know, to clarify, like this is the opportunity and the accessibility for adults, Canadian adults. Well, you, you, you don't have to be in Canada, but if you're in Canada, you're you know mm-hmm. allowed to purchase cannabis legally in all provinces. Um, but it creates a, a warmer welcoming and we're starting to see a little bit of brand personality between different retail chains. So you mentioned Dutch Love and there's this really playful and casual and kind of almost yeah. like Cali, kind of, you know, Joshua Tree vibe. And they've done mm-hmm. a beautiful job. And there's that consistency in every store that you go to. And, you know, if we talk about it locally in town, some of the really great partners of mine include Muse. You know, if you've ever been there, there's a location on South Granville. And I use that example because they have this 
beautiful wooden whiskey library feel very sophisticated and you know classic and if we think about where their locations are it's very strategic with their aesthetic Mm -hmm. maybe slightly older um, baby boomers a little bit more affluent so that speaks to certain audiences that may have been intimidated but kind of curious or just maybe ashamed or nervous or scared to to talk about their use or you know, the relationship with the plant. And I think it's like monkey see monkey do, right? Because like, yeah. it's like, okay, well, if there are these big chain businesses or not even big chain, but businesses that are popping up in these areas in town, and we're not just talking about rural BC or, you know, bad yeah. underdeveloped areas of the city, then I think, yeah, you start seeing a lot more selection and Another thing I like to talk about with cannabis and, and, you know, you brought up just different styles and such, it's really not a genderization, you know, this industry. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I'm trying to avoid a lot because when people see, oh, hi, they're like, oh, this must be for women. I'm like, you're correct, but it's for anybody who can appreciate a specific aesthetic because at the end of the day, when we consume the plant, we all have a very spiritual, elevated, psychoactive um, experience and effect that has no gender, you know, how we feel about it is based on our own contextual bio DNA or environment or our own experiences. And I think that's really important for the industry to, to recognize. And, you know, that also has a lot to do with creating equality in this industry. Right. You mentioned as well uh, that when we were talking more about like aesthetic, that there was kind of this stigma around cannabis being quote unquote, only for stoners. Do you find as well, kind of in the same realm that there was a stigma around women consuming and using cannabis over the past like decade, would you say? Yeah, I think just women in general, we get stigmatized on anything that may not be traditionally quote unquote meant for women. Right. Mm -hmm. And for especially something like the idea of smoking, just in general, like, you know, the tobacco business went insanely and boomed because they realized, oh, if we start marketing to women, then we're saying as a big tobacco company that it's okay for women to smoke, then it's going to be accepted, right? Obviously, yeah. we don't want people smoking nicotine and tobacco anymore. But in in the cannabis industry, again, I think that the timing of our legalization that happened, there's more voices from women, like female identifying folks that can really like stand mm-hmm. up and say, yeah, I, I consume. And then again, like paving that way and leading by example. So it's a tough question for me to answer because I'm so surrounded by cannabis that I don't see the stigmatization anymore, but I definitely witnessed through, you know, online content or conversation and events, um, you know, moms, parents who consume and feel like they're judging, you know, a lot of moms that I know newborn moms or women who have, you know, even teenage children, like they don't really know how to approach the topic because then they might feel like hypocritical with their kids, especially in the teen age and all that. But then I always hear, well, if my girlfriends can take a picture and have a glass of wine at their, on their couch, you know, late at night after a long day and the kids are in bed, why can't I go outside and take a little puff? And, you know, and if we talk about the level of intoxication, it can't be compared apples to apples, but there's certainly a little bit more of a a different type of psychoactiveness or like, you know, booze isn't psychoactive, Mm -hmm. but do you know what I mean? And so 
I think more women are also coming out of their can of closet to push that narrative more so about the courage. And I think people wanting to be able to share their experiences than the industry Mm -hmm. stigmatizing. You mentioned as well, courage. And I think part of that is also education on, you know, cannabis and cannabis benefits, because I still think there is a barrier to, you know, consuming cannabis because people, you know, kind of think it's going to get you to a level of high that is unsafe. I mean, that's obviously not necessarily the case. And you've talked about using cannabis as a form of therapy and having these self-therapeutic benefits. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and your experience with that? Yeah, I loved partying before. I loved to go out and drink and dance and just, you know, Mm -hmm. as I matured, even still like just wine and all that, but I always felt worse the next day. You know, the post-booze, because I'm not even talking about just hangovers, just emotionally. And, you know, if I was four out of 10 anxiety, which is how I just, that's my homeostasis, like it's my natural kind of being, then the next day I'd be easily at like a seven or eight, you know, the smallest mm-hmm. little things. And, you know, I, I never realized that until I started consuming cannabis more consciously and realizing, oh, okay, I don't have those effects. And in fact, um, sometimes I might feel a little paranoid and that has to do with strain and the content of, of that plant. Um, and we can get into that later, but I don't have that, that residual catch 22 of that up and down of a roller coaster. Yeah. And I think there's that famous quote right now going around with conscious consumption about like set and set it. And what is, what is your intention with any substance that we, mm-hmm. we take and, sounds a little corny, but I even asked myself with coffee because I'm so anxiety, high anxiety. I can't drink too much caffeine. So yeah. I think to myself, am I drinking this at a ritual? Like at a habit? Cause I love the smell of coffee or do I actually really need it right now? Because I'm going to have this visceral, like physical effect. My heart gets like pumpy and I get palpitations. Yeah. I get sweaty and shaky and such. Right. When we talk about cannabis, it's not just a joint or hitting a bar right. anymore. Right. Um, and so I think about, okay, what are the kind of supplements that I have out of my cannabis drawer? What, what is it that I feel like deficient of, or what do mm-hmm. I need to really elevate, you know, my mm-hmm. creativity? Is it my sleep? And like you were saying, that comes to me because I'm in the industry and I've learned and I've done a lot of research, but unfortunately the way the economy is, the way the industry is, the way the health Canada regulations are, and just even with, you know, a budding industry spending two thirds of the, of its legalization in in a pandemic world, there Mm -hmm. isn't enough mass information out there. You know, where's the campaign to have really good education for parents or workshops to actually teach about what the plant is. And, you know, I don't know if it's that the government from federal to provincial to municipal, or if it's up to the businesses and brands, because everyone is just trying to survive right now. Right. And I think that you know, opens up a can of worms when it comes to, like you mentioned, legalizing it, but not putting out the information and the education out there. Because I feel like a lot of the times people that are, you know, curious about cannabis or curious about CBD, it's that safe consumption that scares people. So when it comes to consuming cannabis in a safe way and in a conscious way, what advice would you give to somebody looking to just try it? 
So firstly, I think the most important thing is to understand the two most popular compounds, which is THC and CBD. And quick, like just Cole's note for people that don't Mm -hmm. know, THC is psychoactive, which means it will alter your current state, right? You're not going, you're not getting hallucinations like maybe shrooms Mm -hmm. or, you know, psilocybin, but you will feel a little bit of that liftedness. I, the best way to compare it is, you know, if you have, um, if you have a drink or cocktail, maybe kind of two in, you just start to see the shift in your body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, CBD is non-psychoactive in that mindset and for your kind of neurologically, but I often still remind people, it still alters your, your body. We just don't feel yeah. it, right? It's right. like drinking a tea or taking vitamin C, right? And for some people who might be really, really sensitive with their endocannabinoid system, and I'll explain what that is in a second, they may feel a little tingle from CBD. You might kind of feel like, you know, when you drink a Red Bull, you might kind of just feel like a little, little buzz or something, or maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more deep relaxation. So it does alter your homeostasis, even if it's not psychoactive. And I mentioned the endocannabinoid system because that is something that is found in, in mammals, in, in even in dogs, right? And so there's this lock and key analogy between the cannabinoids, excuse me, the cannabinoids, which are the molecules and compounds found in cannabis plants that somehow work really well with the human and mammal endocannabinoid system. And then that works in in tandem with our biochemistry of our neurotransmitters and our hormones. So that's how it can slowly affect and um, influence your dopamine or your serotonin. So that's why people get the munchies or things are funnier or you can sleep a little bit better. So Mm -hmm. that that's what I would say, like to understand, okay, what is it? You know, conscious consumption is not just about our environment, but understanding what is that we are putting into our bodies. I know I get get really geeky, but I'm that person that reads all the labels (laughs) at Whole Foods. Um, And then with legalization, I really encourage people, especially those who are just experiencing cannabis, to go to your local legal cannabis shop or to go right. to your online government shop. And, you know, there's still a lot of home growers. There's a lot of medical growers and medical patients. Mm-hmm. So if you know what your, your, who your source is and where those plants are coming from, great. But if you don't know and you're just exploring, go to a store and ask questions. For the most part, staff, bud tending staff, love to help. That, that is their job that, you know, you go in a liquor store there, you know, you'll have associates that will be like, okay, what kind of wine are you looking for? What kind of spare yeah. price range? Bud tenders will really get to understand and know like, who's the grower? What's the THC percentage? If you're looking for CBD, if you don't want to smoke, here's an edible, et cetera. Right. Right. So I think that's really important. And, um, the other thing to really keep in mind, like if you are going to take away two things, THC, CBD and go low and slow. So yes, there's this, yeah. there's this term called titration. And what that means is, so say even with CBD, you don't really know what that dosage is. It's a lot of numbers and a lot of milligrams and grams and, mm-hmm. you know, percentages ask your bud tender, but say you get a pack of gummies and they're five milligrams each take just one five first, see how you mm-hmm. feel. My recommendation is kind of 20, 30 minutes, especially with, with edibles, see how that feels, maybe take another five and then you kind of get your sweet spot. So you don't get that massive paranoia experience that a lot of yeah. people will refer to when they smoke THC or consume THC for the first time. Be like, no way. I took one toke and I was out. Mm-hmm. I'm so scared. I was like, <laughs> you know, so yeah. Yeah. I'm learning so much first <laughs> and foremost. Where do you see Ohi going in the next five to 10 years, what is your goal for the company and what are you most excited about? Intuitively, 
thing that I'm most excited about has nothing to do with cannabis. It's the fact that I have this opportunity to build a business and taking it to the beginning of a conversation to create a safe workplace that I've constantly been looking for, even today, to find leadership, whether it's myself or other mentors and advisors that I can bring on and other team members to help lead. Um, that is something that I'm looking for because so many times I just hear the frustrations and grievances, especially from POCs like BIPOC, WOCs that, you know, we don't have that chance or is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm a color person? And I really don't, I really want to give it a try to see like, okay, if I have this control, I'm already going into it with that lens. There's no, it's non-negotiable for me you know, that inclusivity. Right. I, I am a walking example of that. And that pain and that frustration of experience, I want that to be the gift and to be able to share. But on the business side, um, within the Canadian industry, I'm really proud to say like, there's a very authentic and genuine community that follows Ohio. It's still very small and, you know, I'm still starting, but I see the love and I see that mutual respect that spun off from, from Ohio. So without even me really doing too much more as a business and a brand, I'm going grassroots. I'm going straight mm -hmm. to the consumer and I'm letting them know I have your back. Oh, a big yep. sister. And whatever you need, we got you. Education, empowerment products, you know, aesthetics, something to laugh at, something to cry at. Like that's what it is. And so those are my goals and vision. I would say like cannabis kind of found me and it's just a coincidence that that's the, that's the tactile product mm -hmm. or that environment and industry that I'm building something in but it's really the sentiment and the power of building something to create holistic community. And especially during a time right now, you know, I think yeah. we all want to feel like we belong to something. Yeah. And I think that's really important because Ohi is what we need in the industry. We need, you know, for me, for example, like having a company and knowing the person behind the brand and how open and inclusive you are as a company you know, we're just going to grow with you as you grow and we're just going to be there as you continue to explore other products. So I really love that you have that perspective of your business and just overall the community that Ohi brings with it. I really appreciate that you recognize that because, you know, I think about, you know, listen to all the podcasts and you read articles about successful people and successful women and, and all that. But I often thought to myself, why do we only hear about it after they reach IPO mm -hmm. or after they yeah. get series BCD? Why yeah. isn't that we're following the journey? Everybody has a day one, right? Like we all started somewhere, even if like wealthy parents passed on generational wealth for you mm -hmm. to have a startup, you still have to start up. You still have to put blood, right. sweat and tears in it. And I never care to really be in the spotlight or anything, but I also let that be a journey to be shared so that people can relate to and feel connected. Because again, like I, from my pain of feeling alone, from my mental health and my anxiety and depression, I kind of was seeking for someone that I could look up to as examples mm -hmm. and one day I just decided, let this be my healing, my medicine to share then and we'll see where it goes. And it's scary, but I figure like, Hey, I might have some ride or dies, my A1, where <laughs> maybe if I end up on a cover somewhere or that IPO or whatever it is, like mm -hmm. there's going to be people where, where we all did it together. It's not just me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to kind of end things off, I love always hearing about a pinch me moment in your career. And I know you kind of talked about a few here and there, but I'd love to know which one sticks out to you the most. 
Can I share two? They're kind of related. Of course. Okay. Um, so I launched, so Ohio has been around and I was toying with, especially with like my marketing skills, you know, putting out the brand and on, on social for about six months before I really like had product out there. And so most of my product were in physical stores um, in town through wholesale. And I, I didn't have enough bandwidth or resources to run an online shop because it's hard. You got to do fulfillment. It's more than a full-time job. But because of quarantine, we got all locked up at home. I finally had time to sit at my desk. I wasn't traveling. I wasn't on the road. I wasn't on meetings all the time. I launched my online shop. And that pinch me moment was that first week, that first day of like opening the shop. I had sales and like, I didn't care how many, but I had way more than what I had expected. And I thought, holy, this is a thing. It's pandemic. We have no idea what's going on. It's still a brand new industry. I have zero advertising dollars. People found it and they bought people's hard earned money. People were getting laid off. They were scared and they bought. And I was like, holy, like that's a responsibility now. Mm -hmm. And then the other one I would say is um, somehow the uh, Georgia Strait got a hold of um, my story in Ojai. And Ojai was on the cover of the Georgia Strait in May. And wow. I love the city. I love Vancouver. And um, I think the the cover headline was saying something to the effect of Vancouver's reboot during a pandemic. And on the left, it says, oh, hi, like accessories elevated or cannabis accessories elevated or something. And that is this pinch me moment to really say like, you know what, there will always be adversity, like, you know, something as big as a global mm -hmm. pandemic. Yeah. But unless you try, you'll never know. Yeah. You just never know. And, and I think that was my sign to be like, just keep going. And throughout your career, you know, as you've kind of gone through those, you know, adversities and challenges of growing your business, what advice have you continued to take with you along the way? The one that sticks out to me the most is um, a friend who I admire, and he's the CEO of a, of a gaming company he said to me, M, be prepared for your business and your brand to outgrow you. And he said that to me in the context of like, don't get too emotionally attached. There is a difference, especially being an entrepreneur and creating a brand like Ohio, that is such an extension of my soul and personality. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad he told me that such early on because I can really draw this line of, am I making yeah. this business decision for my business or for my ego? And mm -hmm. like being able to emotionally detach myself from certain things allows me to again, take a breath and look at things objectively. It doesn't mean I'm cold-hearted and I'm just going to be a shark and a snake, right? But it's just, mm -hmm. you know, I don't have to be so reactionary and also don't make my relationship with my business and my brand so intimate and so emotional that if one day it outgrows me and goes into the power in the hands of someone else, that is right. the whole point. You know, you have to be able to right. let that go. It is going to change. That is the form of success in this capital world, Right. So right. I really encourage people to think about that as well. Like it's hard. It is more emotional labor than it is physical labor. Most times with running and, and starting a business. Mm -hmm. um, but as soon as he told me that it was almost like my, my business anxiety was like, screw it. You know, right. it's, it's okay. I'll still be able to live another day. Mm -hmm. And I like that too. Just that advice in general, when it comes to just your career or things that you do for yourself. Like for me, for example, as I was kind of navigating through my career at the you know early stages when I was just getting into the industry, I tied myself a lot to my role. And I don't know if you had that as well when you were in agency and when you were you know in different roles, but 
I feel like in Toronto, especially when you meet people, it's like, oh, where, where do you work? Or it's like, oh, I'm, I'm Kyla. I work at Snapchat. It's, you just automatically tie yourself to that. So I think that advice is really helpful for younger people or just anybody in general in their career or doing, you know, things that they might be tying themselves to. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's not you, that's just your job. Absolutely. Like, I think this hustle culture, you know, within a business or your own kind of forces people to grab, gravitate to that identification and letting that job and that role be kind of what you stand by, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of like, Hey, Kyla, what do you do for, what do you like to do? Or what do you do when people say that? And, you know, mm-hmm. and I kind of answer like, do you mean for fun, for life or for work now? Yeah. Right. It's like, what do you mean? Like, I don't want, even though I'm a business person, like I don't want that to be my, my definition of who mm-hmm. I am as Emily in so many different ways. And I, and I would agree for the younger gen that's going into the workforce or starting their business. We are all replaceable as cold as that sounds. Yeah. Business has no feeling money has no feelings as an actual emotional quotient EQ. You are the only one that is going to look out for yourself at the end of the day. So, you know, be emotionally attached to your passion and your craft and your productivity. Mm-hmm. But for a business, you know, I've been laid off. I've been berated on jobs. I've been told I'm no good and all that stuff. Yeah. And in that moment, being a young 20 something year old, you know, building out my career, I was like, F this, like I'm here, yeah. I'm shaking, I'm in the hall, bawling my eyes. But now I'm like, <laughs> whatever, my people, my yeah. fam loves me. My people love me. I love myself now, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not letting that define. Although I love Ohio though. I treat it like it's my child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's like no. one day to leave the nest. <laughs> yeah. No, I really love that. And, you know, I want to say thank you for just sharing your personal background and just your journey with Ohio. And I think conversations like these are very much needed. Just hearing your story and hearing about how you've overcome those challenges is really amazing. I appreciate that so much. And, you know, every day is just another learning opportunity. It's not easy still, and it'll never be easy. And in some ways, that's the excitement. That's the journey. Um, Yeah. Yeah.